You're listening to a resource from Jamboree Anglican Church. Let me pray. Loving Father, we pray now that as we look at the Bible that you teach us about true joy. No matter what we're feeling, whether we're feeling uh, joy and happiness at the moment, whether we're feeling sadness, whether we're feeling confusion, whatever our feelings, Lord, bring us together and bring us to the Lord Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. I wonder how many times you've heard a parent say, I just want my kids to be happy. Have I heard that before? I think it's often said when someone tries to justify a person's poor or unwise decisions. You know, I know it's not ideal that my daughter wants to marry a non-Christian man, but I just want her to be happy. I prefer my son went to youth group instead of parties, but I just want him to be happy. Or maybe it's something people say, maybe even yourself you might say, to justify something you know isn't quite right. You know, I I know that starting my new job will mean I spend less time at home, but the extra income will make us happier. I know it's not right for me to leave my husband, but our marriage just isn't making me happy. Somewhere along the line, happiness has become our ultimate goal. And in a way... That kind of makes sense, I suppose. I mean, no one says, you know, I really want my kids to be miserable. Or I'm keeping this job because I want to have a sad life. Uh, That's something that no one would ever say. Because the thing is that we believe that the best life is a happy life. Now, realistically, that is a, uh, a first world problem. Uh, when you've got clean running water and money for food and groceries and a place to sleep that is warm and dry and secure and we've got free and skilled medical care, when you've got all these things, most of the worries of the world really are not upon you. But when a person has no water or food or shelter or Medicare, uh, they're not really thinking, how can I get happy? When life is focused on survival... You don't really worry about thriving. But when you're living the first world life, the focus on happiness is really, it seems, the only thing that counts. When you take into account how much we in Australia earn and how many of us have jobs and the kind of housing we live in and the standard of our health and our life expectancy, all those different things, the OECD says that we're basically at the top of the list of the happiest countries in the world. How do you feel about that? We're in the happy country. But at the same time, according to Sydney's Black Dog Institute, major depression affects one in five adults in Australia, either directly or indirectly, with almost twice as many women diagnosed than men. So on the one hand, we are the happiest land in the world, and on the other hand, we have an epidemic, a pandemic, really, of mental health issues. Both of those are there at the same time. We want happiness, but as a nation, we just seem to not be able to get what we want, even though we've got what should be the best life on the planet. What's gone wrong? Well, what's gone wrong is that we've failed to realise as a nation that true happiness can only come from Jesus. True happiness can only come from Jesus. But it's not the kind of happiness we might expect. See, in the Bible, the word that is most commonly used for this is joy. 
If you go and do a little bit of a word search on a computer Bible, you'll see that the word joy appears about 200 times. And I set myself the task of trying to work out what the Bible says about joy. So I pretty much did that. I did a search and came up with all the words, that, all the times that it said the word joy and had a look at them all and bundled them together into different little groups. And I think I've got here in a nutshell for us today a survey of what the Bible teaches us about joy. But why is it that joy matters? Well, in the Bible, in Galatians chapter 5, there's a list of different things that the Bible tells us that come from having God's Holy Spirit in us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have God's Holy Spirit, and this is what you get. Galatians 5, to 23, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, what's the second one? Joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Right there in this list, right up near the start after love, is the word joy. It's a gift from God. It's something that God has given us. It's a spiritual gift in that way. And the reason that the people here in the church of Galatia needed to understand the fruit of the Spirit is because they were tearing each other apart in all sorts of biff. Galatians 5.15 says that if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. That's what they were at risk of doing because they were having so much conflict. But the Bible tells us and tells them that when you're a follower of Jesus and you have the Spirit of God in you, which happens at the same time, then you have joy. Joy is central to the Spirit-filled life. And as we receive this gift of joy, God gives us something that is deeper, fuller and richer than mere happiness. Joy makes happiness pale in significance. So what does the Bible say about joy? Well, I've gone through lots of verses and I've summarised them here. Here are the five things that I'm going to look at. Firstly, that joy is different to happiness. I'll get to these in a moment so you don't have to write them down, but just to give you an idea of where we're going. Joy is different to happiness. Joy is related to people. Joy is a product of sharing God's heart. Joy is forward-looking. And joy is a gift from God. So let's have a look at these five things together this morning. Firstly, joy is different to happiness. Joy is different to happiness. I want you to stop and think about a time in your life when you have really, really been happy. Maybe it was a special family function, like a wedding. My second daughter had her first oh, had her wedding. This is her first wedding anniversary this morning. And I can think back a year ago to the very day when, and there was great happiness on that day. You've probably think you may well have had similar experiences in your life. Or maybe it was a special time hanging out with old friends where you haven't seen each other for so long and then you get together and it's just like old times and you cheer and you laugh and you remember the past. You think, this is happy. I'm feeling happy. Or maybe you were enjoying something you really cherished. Maybe you'd saved up a whole lot of money to see an international artist come and play and it's like, oh, I'm now hearing them play live and I've been counting down the days when I could actually be here in the concert with them. Or maybe a sporting event. When your team has come from behind to suddenly get to the point where they win at the very end and you cheer and there's high fives and there's, there's now COVID safe hugging or whatever it is that you celebrate when you're watching your team win. That, can you understand that kind of feeling of happiness? That, that, that's sort of what people would say is happiness and it's good. 
But what is it that the Bible talks about when it comes to joy? Is joy exactly the same as that feeling of the the wedding or the party or the reunion or the concert or the sporting game? Well, have a look at this. Matthew 28, 8. The women ran quickly from the tomb. It's Jesus' tomb. It's Easter Sunday. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. Can you see? There are two things at once. They're frightened and they're full of joy. Now, you couldn't really be frightened and happy at the same time. I don't think that would work. But the Bible says that they were frightened and full of joy at the same time. Let's have a look at another time when joy is different to happiness. 2 Corinthians 8.2. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. It's describing these people. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. They're not having a fun time. Troubles, poverty, but joy. And not just cheap joy. This is abundant joy. Joy mustn't equal happiness. Can you see that? Same is true in 1 Thessalonians 6. So you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. In spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way you imitated both us and the Lord. They have... Severe suffering and joy. You couldn't imagine severe suffering and happiness unless there was something slightly wrong with you. Joy and happiness are not clearly the same thing exactly. So I think that what you want to, we want to understand what joy is like. Joy is the kind of thing that you get that comes sometimes in the midst of trials. It's less the happy, smiley, hip, hip, hooray, three cheers kind of happiness we might have. And more that deep feeling when you've come through a hard patch, when you've made it through a tough time, and when you've got through to the other side and you're thankful to God, and there's that feeling of, how do you describe that? I think that's joy. It's not hip, hip, hooray. It's like, ah. Here we are, and we are deeply thankful. I think it's more about contentment and satisfaction. So less about laughing and more about contentment. Less about smiling and more about satisfaction. This is how God is describing how he has made us as humans. See, sometimes this joy might bubble up to the point of laughing and smiling. But often it's something that burns under the surface, keeping us aligned with what really deeply matters most. Might be that as you've joined us here in the church or over in the hall or on the live stream, you're thinking, joy and happiness is the furthest thing from my mind right now. Life is really tough. I feel burdened with guilt. I feel burdened with anxiety. I feel burdened with sadness. And here we are coming and talking about joy. It's like, really? How can I have that joy? Well, sometimes it's when we are deepest in the valley of vision that we can see God in the heights. It's when life is hardest that we can actually see God clearest. And that is a time when we can understand what joy is really like. 
And it's worth noting that when we come together on a Sunday morning like this, we're going to have some people who are full of delight and elation and happiness and joy and and laughter. And there'll be some of us who, who you just know it was a miracle to drag ourselves out of bed this morning because of the depression that we're feeling. Together we come and we can, as a community, all experience joy, although it might be looking very different from one person to another. Well, secondly, joy is related to people. It's related to people. Family and friends bring out the best and sometimes the worst in us. Uh, I think some of the moments I've had of greatest joy have been shared with others and related to the lives of others. I can remember a time uh, way back uh, when I was in my late teens and early 20s, I was a youth group leader and I had a bunch of Year 7 boys and I took them from Year 7 to Year 8 to Year 9 to Year 10 to Year 11 to Year 12. I'd spent six years with them and uh, we got to the point where it was the end of Year 12 and we had to say goodbye and we had to move, you know, that was the end of that era. They were no longer youth and I was still a youth leader so it was not going to work. And we got together, we were away on a camp, and we sang some songs, and we rejoiced in all the things that had happened together. And it was, it was, a, it was an emotional time. We, we, we cried with joy and sadness all together. That relationship was such a profound thing. Maybe you can think of times when you've experienced that kind of deep joy because of relationships. Often in the Bible, it talks about joy with respect to relationships as well. Here's the first one that I've come up with, and it's from Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. These Christians in this place called Philippi had become to the Apostle Paul his very joy and crown. Their deep relationship brought him joy. Have a look also. He talks about the church uh, when he speaks to his friend Philemon. He says, Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Yet again, we see that Paul's joy came through relationships. It's people. It's relationships that brings that joy. Uh, If you're amongst the 2.6 billion active users of Facebook, you'll be connected with friends all the time. That's what Facebook's all about. It's about friends and marketing revenue. But anyway, that's another thing. But we we have all these Facebook friends that, that pop up in our news feeds. And as we see them, we can sometimes get great joy. Someone will share a moment where something happened in the past, a relationship, an event, and they share it and they say, oh, two years ago, what a great memory. And you rejoice with them and you recall those things. But sometimes you'll see something shared by a friend and you think, hang on a second, something's changed. I remember that friend from 12 years ago when we were at church together and that person loved following Jesus. And now they're sharing stuff that just seems a bit weird. So then click on them and check out their Facebook wall and you you see, hang on a second, I don't think they're following Jesus anymore. And you feel sadness. You see, joy is locked up so tightly through relationships. Relationships can bring joy and they can also bring sorrow in that sense. 
And so with all of this, we can see that joy is related to people. But thirdly, joy is a product of sharing God's heart. Joy is a product of sharing God's heart. When we start to see things God's way, that will bring us joy. When our desires and passions are aligned with God's, that will change the way that we see the world. Have a look at Psalm 126, verses 1 to 3. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. It's talking here about the return of God's people from exile where they were imprisonment far, far away and then they were brought back to Jerusalem, which was the very hub of God's presence. And it brought them great joy. Over the last 10 weeks, we've been looking at the book of Revelation, the very last, chapter, last book in the Bible. And in it is this picture of the new Jerusalem, which is a way to describe what it is like when the end times come and when we are there face to face with Jesus. And that same sort of joy is there. where There's laughter and there's joy and the nations say, wow, what joy. In Luke chapter 10, the, 20, the 72 followers of Jesus also experienced some joy under pretty interesting circumstances. We read in chapter 10, verse 17, that when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to Jesus, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. How did they report to Jesus? Joyfully. What were they doing? Basically knocking on doors saying, hello, I'm from the local church. Would you like to know about Jesus? And well, when I've done that, it hasn't always been full of joy. I mean, well, it's been full of joy, but I haven't always had the, the warmest response. You'd be surprised if you've ever done door knocking to talk to people about Jesus. Sometimes they say, oh, funny, I, I was ex- strangely enough, I was expecting someone like you to come in. Come on and have a cup of tea and talk to me about what you want to say. Yay. Uh, but... What has happened is that the 72 disciples have gone out, talked about what it is that uh, it means to follow Jesus, and they, in their trials, were able to come back and talk about joy because they were sharing God's heart for mission. They were sharing God's heart for mission, and it brought them joy. We also see this in Acts chapter 15, as many people came to follow Jesus. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. People became followers of Jesus and those who were friends with God said, wow, we are full of joy because this is what warms our heart more than anything else. When our core values are aligned with God, then what makes him happy makes us happy. And that is what brings us this joy, this deep joy. Fourthly, second last one, joy is forward-looking. Joy is forward-looking. There's a close connection between joy and hope in the Bible. God's people have joy because we have a certainty about the future. In The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, uh, there's all of this talk that you, when, you, when you see it through Christian eyes, through Christian goggles, you, you recognise that it's a whole Christian allegory and that the lion, Aslan, is actually Jesus. 
And there's a great little quote from C.S. Lewis from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which talks about this. It says, Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. They are in the midst of sorrow at this scene inside the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. But they have a deep joy because they are forward-looking, because they know with certainty that Aslan is coming. And so we too who have faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have joy because we are forward-looking. We are looking forward to what it is that will happen when Jesus returns. Future hope can bring present joy. And that's exactly what was seen in the lives of the Christians to whom the letter of Hebrews was written. Chapter 10, verse 34 says, You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. What are they doing? They are in prison. What has happened? Their things, their possessions have been taken away from them. Everything's been stripped from them. And what is their expression of feeling? Joy. Joy. Why? Because it says there, you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. They could have that joy because they were had a future hope on what was to come. We see this also from Peter's first letter to the church. 1 Peter 1.6, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than meat gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honour on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with an glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. It's a long little reading there, but the kind of thing you need to see is they were going through a really hard time, many trials, much, much difficulty, and yet they were filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. This is not the kind of happiness that comes from winning the footy or happiness that comes from going to a concert or happiness that comes from a wedding day. This, this is joy that is a deep joy that is future focused, that is right deep down inside. It's a contentment. It's a satisfaction. This is what it's talking about here. But, you know, it wasn't only the followers of Jesus who experienced this future hope that brought them joy. Even Jesus did. And so we read in Hebrews 12 too, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honour beside God's throne. Even though he was experiencing the most horrible agony that could ever be dished out on any individual in history, 
it could, he did that because of the joy that was awaiting him. The joy that he, he experienced agony because of the future joy. It was all about the long game, the end game. And he knew the joy and so he experienced that agony. Well, finally, joy is a gift from God. It's our last point. Sometimes it seems impossible to experience joy when we're in the depths of depression and pain. When things are really, really hard, you think, joy, where are you? You're nowhere. The the fifth point I want to make clear to you is that joy is a gift from God. It's not something you should be stirring up inside yourself. It's not something that we need to say to ourselves, I'm going to make joy, I'm going to make joy. It is a gift that comes from God. The fruit of the Spirit of God is love, joy. And that means that if we feel low in joy, we should ask God for more. If you want to get filled with joy, you need to fill your minds, your hearts with God. And we do that by coming to the Scriptures, by saying, Lord, teach me, show me, enlighten me. Probably the time when it was hardest for God's disciples, for the disciples of Jesus, was the time just before the final death when Jesus was, was killed at Calvary. Have a listen to what it is that Jesus said to his disciples from John chapter 16, just before Jesus would go to the cross. Verse 20. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labour. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. And I think that's part of the reason why even though the tomb was open and the women were terrified, they still had joy. And so it is that as we see the sorrow of the cross, we recognise the joy that comes from the cross. For these disciples, in their sorrow, they were rightly expecting joy from God because they would see the resurrected Jesus and they would receive the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it just seems that life is too awful to have any joy whatsoever. And yet it is at that time that we can trust that God will give us the deep joy we need at the time that we most need to rely upon him. Happiness is something that our world longs for. The Illawarra longs for it. Australia longs for it. We have got our basic needs covered in spades. We're not concerned about whether we will have clothes to wear. We're just working out which one goes best with this and that. It's not a question of whether we'll have food. It's whether we'll have the tasty food. It's not whether or not we'll have a, have a, a, 
all these other needs and things like that are, are given to us in ext- extreme. But the problem is that even though we are so rich, we in Australia are so emotionally poor. Aussies have bought the lie that the more money you have, the more happy you'll be. The more you party, the more you'll be happy. The more you follow your hearts, the more happiness you'll have. But ultimately, it is just a great big mirage. We need, as a nation, to be pursuing true joy. And the only real joy is found in Jesus. Anything else is just a mirage. C.S. Lewis, I've quoted him before as he wrote in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, but he's also made a fairly profound statement about joy and how we in our land will often seek joy in the wrong place. Have a listen to this. He said, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, It would see that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. (laughs) We are far too easily pleased. Brothers and sisters, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray. Loving Father, we long for joy because you've made us that way. And we thank you that you've revealed to us where we can find true joy. And we ask that when we are feeling sad and depressed or when we're feeling over the moon with happiness, that we might recognise that the true joy comes only from you and that satisfaction and contentment is found only in Christ. Remind us of this, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. And we ask that this would be a message that would ring out to our whole world, especially in this time of uncertainty and confusion and sadness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Jembrew Anglican Church. For more information, head to jembrewanglican.com.